Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with composer Rich Vreeland, a.k.a. Disaster Piece, about his work on the recently released neo-noir drama comedy, Under the Silver Lake. Sorry for the delay, kids. Easter weekend was taken up with feeding cheesy potatoes and ham to an adorable baby, and the week following was an utter shit show of financial ruin. That said, we have a really great episode for you, so let's get into it. The composer Disaster Piece came to prominence with his work on the 2012 video game Fez, as well as his score for the indie horror film It Follows, released in 2015. That marked his first collaboration with director David Robert Mitchell, with whom the composer has teamed up again on Under the Silver Lake. Uh, it's a really fun film. I highly recommend seeing it. It is a, an interesting mix of screwball comedy, noir, and uh, modern indie angst. Uh, it's very much along the lines of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or Brick. If you've enjoyed either of those movies, this will be strictly your jam. For the film's score, Disaster Piece, best known for his synth-driven work, delivers a full orchestral score for the first time. It's an impressive array of music which harkens back to the scores of classic thrillers of the 40s and 50s while also standing tall alongside music from R.E.M. and others. I spoke with Rich Vreeland ahead of Under the Silver Lake's release, and we talked about everything from video games to film to what he has coming up next. so much for taking time out of your afternoon to talk to me i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure um how early in the process uh of under the silver lake did you come in so i was involved pretty early um i um you know i read the script before um before we started shooting and um you know, this movie has a bunch of music in it, not just uh, not just score, but um, you know, a lot of uh, music on screen and scenes that um, that where you know, sort of the actors are are using music, playing music. Um, you know, they're at a concert, stuff like that. So um, there was a lot of pre-production music that I had to write and and help prepare. Um, so I got involved in like August of 2016. Um, which is right around um, the time that they started shooting the movie. And so, yeah, so I was involved for like, I guess like over a year. So it was a pretty, pretty long project. Given like the, the preponderance of like nineties music and actual band as characters uh, and also like the character of the songwriter, like what challenges does all of that other music present? The, um, the, the uh, pre-production stuff. Yeah, just like 
there being all of this other music in the movie, like how does that affect yeah. your compositions? It was interesting because it, it definitely informed the score, but also, you know, it had to be its own thing. I mean, sort of the, the music of the world um, is, is going to be, you know, going to have a different language to it than the music of the, the score, which is sort of more of a commentary. Um, but what was fun about that was sort of like figuring out interesting ways to uh, cross streams. So, um, you know, one example is, is turning teeth, which is sort of like the the uh, song of the summer or whatever, and it's pretty much um, everywhere in the movie. And it sort of it sort of works its way pretty early. It, it works its way into the score. Um, and it's sort of like a motif. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely quite a bit of that, um, even in you know circumstances where where you know it's not necessarily music that I wrote, but um, you know, I, I, like, I was definitely thinking about, um, uh, Nirvana, like, how can I, how can I weave this sort of feeling, this sort of touchstone for the, for that character, sort of this early nineties grungy sort of period, like how, how, and, or if at all, is there a way to capture some of that in the score, even though the score is, you know, trying to do like a very different thing. Um, so there's like, you know, there's there's a little bit of that in the, that went into the thought process, um, and there are other examples like that, like um, sort of the way that the 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 film um, plays with um, uh, you know the the idea of you know being a kid and playing video games and discovering secrets and this sort of stuff. Um, I mean, that sort of found its way into the score too in different ways. I notice that there is like a sort of homage to sort of like the 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 little like chime of of the uh discovery uh of legend of zelda in the score at one point yeah (laughs) yeah there's a couple of there's a couple of scenes like that i mean there's sort of like the, the when he discovers the the underground um tomb and uh and yeah when he's going through the nintendo power um that was just something that happened naturally, you know, while I was scoring that, scoring that sequence, you, like when you're spending so much time with it, I mean, I think even on first watch, it's, there's an absurdity to it, but when you're really sort of inhabiting it, 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 it becomes really obvious how sort of ridiculous the whole thing is. And so <laughs> it, it helps, um, it, it, uh, it sort of presents itself as a, as an, as a opportunity to do something that's a bit, um, flippant and uh com- a bit comical um and and also fun and just you know kind of playing with the boundaries between you know what's real and what's not what's what's like you know what's underscore and what's like sort of breaking the, fir- the fourth wall a little bit um just being playful in that way well i mean that's that's sort of like how it fits very much like in the world of how like noir films work where they have like this, like it's, they're almost absurd. If you look at them like really deeply where like, you know, conspiracies and crisscrossing paths and all of that. Yeah. Were, were there like any scores you looked at or listened to for inspiration? Because it, it, it seems like the mix of like that, under the silver lake is like where it's a sort of like strange mix of noir and oddball comedy 
must have sort of uh, like made for some interesting tonal shifts. For sure. Um, it was definitely, it was definitely a real challenge. Um, uh, on the, on the sort of the reference side, you know, I didn't really go out and do a lot of just standalone listening, but, um, at the beginning of the project, I had been trying some different ideas for what the movie could sound like. And I was, pretty far off from i think some of the the intentions or or um hopes that that david had for the for the score and so i he recommended some movies for me to go watch just to get sort of like a a better sense of of the genre and sort of like you know what came before and 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 how to sort of bridge that gap so i I went and watched uh citizen kane and vertigo and taxi driver and blue velvet and that was that was pretty much it. I just watched each of those once, and um, um, you know that I just needed a little bit of reference for myself because I coming coming to the project, I basically had very little um, uh, knowledge, like or familiarity with with noir movies, and just just seeing a couple of different sort of things that you know had um, some sort of commonality there it definitely helped me to. Um, start to develop some kind of language for the movie it it seemed like after i had watched the film a couple of times it seems to exist in like this sort of rarefied world of movies like kiss kiss bang bang or brick that like managed to operate in a modern uh time period while also like operating sort of like outside of a any sort of time period was was that yeah. something that like drew you to it? Yeah, I think that's that's sort of a that's sort of a um thematic element that David has been developing. Um certainly it follows was that way and I think this this film is like that as well. I mean, but it's interesting because even though it does have that sort of anachronistic feel to it at times, it's it's also meant to like be a period movie in a, in a certain way. Like it's supposed to be set at a certain period of time. Um but I think it's just something about the way that David sort of paints this sort of like um, this picture of, you know, where, where reality and, and what's real and what's not real. It's, it can be hard to tell. Um, and the, the sort of the, his, his like passion for, for films and sort of the references and the inspirations that he brings are so vivid and, and, and uh, diverse that you, I think there's like a, there's almost a feeling that you're, um, you're a part of something that's um, more than like a particular point in time. It's something that's sort of like connected to a lot of different, uh, you know, points um, along the way as far as like, um, you know, the, the history of, uh, of movies. Now that you've made uh, like several movies with David Robert Mitchell, like, is 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 there a sort of language that the two of you like do you have a shorthand now is is it easier or is it harder <laughs> i think it's um i think it's a little bit of both i think uh i think you know working with someone multiple times successfully you definitely build a communication style and you you build a rapport and a trust with each other um i think there's also a um there's more of an openness to be really honest and to really push for your, your, your desires and your ideas. And so that can, you know, it can make things a bit more adversarial at times, but 
um, you know, ultimately I think, um, you know, David and I have a ton of respect for each other and we, I think we're both really proud of the work that we've done together. Um, and you know, we, we like each other personally. So, um, you know, um, any of the, any of the sort of challenges or hardships that are, that come about through that process are easy to, easy to look past, especially when you can look back and, and say, wow, you know, we made something really amazing. Um, you know, there's plenty to be, be proud of. So whose idea was it for this to be an orchestral score versus, uh, since? I think it was, we, we both, we both had the intention of working with orchestra this time. Um, but I think we had somewhat different ideas about that. I think, I think I imagined something a little more, um, a little more of a, of a melting pot sort of grab bag of different, different styles. Um, that would be, you know, maybe it would be probably even more video game stuff and, and a solo, like a acoustic guitars. And, um, I think David, his instincts were more towards a more primarily, um, like classic film orchestral kind of sound. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, once we started playing with those ideas, I mean, I, I knew that he, he had, you know, he had a really solid uh, intuition about it and that was definitely the way to go. And still, we still, you know, we still knew that we wanted to pepper the score with, um, other kinds of sounds and, you know, to, to have, to have fun with it, um, to really sort of like bring, bring sort of a breadth of ideas to the score the same way that the, the script, you know, is, um, you know, has, has a lot of stuff going on. We wanted the music to sort of mirror that. I love the way the score sort of references and feels like these classic forties and fifties, like genre pictures while still sounding modern. It's like by no means like a pastiche, um, but like still also definitely like captures the, the, the feel of like Hollywood with like a capital H. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean that was definitely the intention. Um so I'm glad that you you felt that way. Like like that that's like a in addition to like music being like very much like a part of the film like Hollywood a, as a place and an idea also factor really strongly into Under the Silver Lake. Like yeah. how how do you like try not to like go too far in into homage it's easy it's easier to, to it's easier when you're um not super um knowledgeable about sort of the reference so um 
you know, for me working in movies, I've had the, I've had the, um, the benefit of being a relative outsider, like not having a lot of background in film and, and, you know, film was never like a primary passion for me. So, um, I don't have the same vocabulary that, you know, you know, David would have. Um, and so I can go into something with a more sort of an impression of what that thing is and bring my own sort of flavor to it. Um, and, uh, you know, for this movie, you know, I think moving to, I mean, I lived in Hollywood for, for a period of time while I was working on this, and I still live in L.A. Um, near Silver Lake. And, um, you know, just doing some baseline sort of like um, education by, you know, watching some films and having conversations with David and Julio and, um, um, you know, and obviously they, you know, all the reference material that they actually cut the picture to um it was all you know great stuff from different different movies some of it is not even from movies um really sort of a uh, really diverse um and and uh, thoughtful collection um it's really it's really nice to to be able to work with um with a team like that like like david and julio who who and julio especially is very very um knowledgeable um not just about about film, but also about music. And he, he always is coming up with like really um, interesting references and things that I'd never heard before. I mean, he, he brought like one example was like uh, he, um, he had cut in some, um, uh, it was like solo Shakuhachi music. <laughs> I was like, where did you find this? It's so cool. Um, so it's always, uh, Working with them is, is always um, enlightening and full of surprises. So, how was it like recording with an orchestra for the first time? It was it was amazing, but it was also probably the hardest thing I've ever done, creative uh, like career wise. Um, you know, most projects I, I try to find something new that I can, um, you know, that's like one step out of my comfort zone that I can stretch a bit and, and reach for. And this was like multiple steps out of my comfort zone, and I really had to stretch and reach and so it was very very difficult and challenging for me um which is why it was so crucial to have um a really great team of collaborators to you know help help me bridge that gap um my like partner uh on the project is kyle newmaster who um has worked on films for a long time and, and has done a lot of orchestral recording and so he was he was invaluable in just helping me um, to um, just make sure we're on we're on the right track and to, to help help with you know figuring out all the logistics of recording an orchestra, which there are very there are so many. So you know, learning about all that and and um, you know, uh, he also had up orchestration. Um, so I mean, uh, to there's just so much to do, and I'm I. Um, I'm glad that I was able to not only write the score, but also um, do a lot of the, you know, most of the arranging of, you know, how this, how the score should actually sound. And that was something that was really important for me that I wanted to figure out. And uh, it was, it wasn't easy to do that with, with very little experience, but I think we did, we did it. It fits so well into the film. And also it's, it's a pleasurable listening experience on its own separately from the film. Like I heard the score like long before I got to see the film. So it's been sort of an interesting thing. 
uh, bringing the two together. Like what, when you were recording it, was that anything that was on your mind? Like, as, like it as a score, but also as a music that can possibly exist on its own. I mean, I, I generally um, don't think about the soundtrack at all until, until the, the project, like the, the proper project is done. And that's when, that's only then that I start actually thinking about, you know, making sort of a standalone um, soundtrack. But um, it's always fun making those because they're, they're kind of a different animal. Um, and, you know, you have an opportunity to sort of revisit what you've done and to think about how these pieces fit together. And maybe there's, you know, when the music is front and center, how do you present that? And, you know, wh- how does it differ from how the music is presented in the movie? And sometimes you don't, you know, you know, you're never going to win every battle. And sometimes, you know, you know, certain, certain scenes or, you know, certain, certain, um, things that you were really pushing for, you know, you, you, it doesn't work out or certain, certain parts of music or, or things or, you know, there's, there's just a more important moment in the movie, whether it's, you know, um, uh, dialogue or sound, sound effects or something. And, but when you have a, you know, when you have that standalone soundtrack, you really have the opportunity to, um, paint a different picture paint you know kind of show the world like you know some of the you know something a little bit more personalized as far as like you know how how you as the as the composer sort of interfaces with uh with the material in terms of like the release of this music uh in various forms like it's it's obviously coming out digitally and people can stream it or download it from their provider of choice but it's also coming out on compact disc and double vinyl lp now <clears throat> pardon me um i know like uh, i remember you appearing on the damn fine cast several years ago when it follows came out uh and you had some very definite opinions regarding uh vinyl uh and sort of like how that worked have those opinions changed a little or are they still the same uh, <clears throat> i think um i think i've kind of just stopped caring altogether <laughs> honestly um i mean i i'm i'm happy to to um you know do it um as as sort of like an offering or you know something that um you know that for people that enjoy that or you know if it's the collaborator that I'm working with who's really, you know, wants, wants it to happen. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but you know, it's, it's never really been a priority for me. And I, I still feel like, um, it's honestly, it's a real pain in the butt to make vinyl and, um, (laughs) it doesn't, you know, it's, it's expensive, um, in all the ways, um, you know, um, uh, you know, both, uh, both economically and also like material wise. And I think I, you know, I still have some of those same concerns for sure. I think I, I think what you're referring to is probably like the, the sustainability of it. Like, it seems like it's still a little bit behind the curve, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, those are, I understand the reasons why people like those things and that they like to have something tangible, something that they can display that they can show people, you know, there's something really important about that about that exchange and you know we're you know you could make a case for that we're losing a little bit of that with everything going so digital and streaming and everything like that so i mean i i understand it for sure um i yeah i don't know it's it's um definitely something 
that I think is worth continuing to think about, to think about like, you know, the relationship that people have to music and, and how, how they engage with it, I think is, is an important conversation to be continuously having. Well, I mean, there is the, the I mean, there, there are, uh, audiophile digital formats that I, people like Neil Young are very, very passionate about. Um, I think there, <laughs> there, there are all kinds of different, I, uh, are are you just you know at the end of the day just just happy that people want to hear your music? Pretty much, um, yeah. I've never been an audiophile, and I I can't really I I can't really tell the difference between like you know a five thousand dollar pair of speakers and a like like a tube amplifier and all and a vinyl record. Like I can't really tell the difference that much. Um, I, I think there's something almost pseudo religious about it or maybe just religious about about uh you know some of the some of the cultural aspects of 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 that sort of listening um practice um which is fine and i think you know it's it's the most human thing in the world to ritualize stuff but um i don't know i guess for me i um at the end of the day i i guess i'm more interested in the form and sort of the the more overtly um uh, apparent things um, you know, it's not, I, I kind of just take people's word for it sometimes when you know <laughs> they say this is, this is higher quality. Like I, I can't necessarily tell all the time. So <laughs> it's kind of in a, a weird position to be in, I guess. That's a good way of looking at it. I appreciate that. This film has taken a little bit to get out. I know it's been uh pushed back a couple of times. What do you have on the horizon? Well, I just, um, I just, scored a movie for triple front uh for netflix called triple frontier which came out about a, a couple weeks ago and um we just announced a game called solar ash kingdom with uh the studio heart machine that made the game hyperlight drifter and um it's being published by annapurna so i'm actually i'm actually at their studio right now working on that and uh i've also got a uh independent film that i'm working on with uh the director Joaquin Del Paso from Mexico City uh, called The Hole in the Fence. And outside of that, I'm planning to work on a theater project, which would be interesting. Um, just uh, just trying to do different stuff and keep it interesting. Well, wonderful. I, I, I wish you the best of luck on all your projects, and I look forward to hearing them. Thanks again for taking time to talk to me. This has been a real treat. My pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been nice, nice chatting with you.
Rich Vreeland for speaking with me. You can find information about his music and everything else on Twitter at DisasterPiece, that's with a P-E-A-C-E, or at his website, DisasterPiece.com. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at FromAnInspiredBy.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod. And you can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and maybe the $700 we owe on auto repairs. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. To make up for this episode's delay, we'll be back next week talking with Wang Chung's Jack Hughes about the band's work on To Live and Die in L.A., their new orchestral album, and being musical shorthand for the 80s. Until then, thanks for listening. Help me down, catching my